Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Hunt for the Wilder People, directed by Taika Waititi and released in 2016. The plot goes something like this. A national manhunt is ordered for a rebellious kid and his foster uncle who go missing in the wild New Zealand bush. Did I pronounce Taika Waititi's name wrong? Because I've never actually heard it said out loud before. I don't know. I've always said Taika, but I, I, I don't think I've heard it said out loud before either. We probably need to... Uh, look into that before we do Ragnarok. Yes. Um, and, you know, do write in and tell us if we got it wrong. Mm. Um, so I uh, – d- have you seen any other Taika Waititi movies? I-, I never got to What We Do in the Shadows. I've right. heard all about it, but I have not actually watched it yet. Um, what We Do in the Shadows is pretty good. It's a it's a kind of a parody movie about vampires and werewolves and stuff. Um, I liked this better <laughs> – than I liked what we do in the shadows. What we do in the shadows has some really, really funny moments, but like overall as a movie is not that great. Yeah. And uh has no like two women in it in out of lots of roles. Um this I think was was really, really well made and well put together and emotionally effective and stuff. Um and yeah, it was really funny. I liked it. Yeah. I uh, I liked it a lot too. Uh, Sam Neill as the grizzled old Bushman. At first I was like Sam Neill, like urbane, suave, witty, winemaking Sam Neill is what gruff Bushman, and it actually works. Um, I was surprised at that, but it, he works really well. And the kid he's with, his Julian something, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, they're just a good little pair. It's a sweet movie. It's it's another one of those like fun family movies. It runs just on ninety minutes. It hits all the. It's got some. It does like tropey. Um, classic storytelling really well and I just, yeah, I had a great time watching it and it, also it's funny. Well, it's very boys own adventure-y um, but it's held back from being too sweet by having like, you know, proper unhappiness happen. Yeah. Uh, proper tragedy and, and, um, and you know, the the story of Ricky's life in foster care and all that sort of stuff to keep it back from being really, you know, over the top sweet but, and, and it's Really funny. I mean, mm. really funny. I, I was thinking that part way through it. It's a really effective um, look at the problems of the foster system and problems that social problems. It kind of just it's a re- it's a really effective vehicle for looking at some of those things. I, yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, the, the the social workers in these movies are always just such terrible people. Mm. <laughs> like the uh, she was really funny, but the social worker that was after him. Um, in her like little Javert style was was awful, very funny, but mm. not a nice person. No, um, and, I- and uh, like this is the thing I, I, you know, having worked in what I do, I've met so many people who were social workers and who were you know teachers of kids with problems and all that sort of stuff, and they're never they're just so awful in movies. Yeah, so well, it, she didn't. She wasn't very realistic. Like, there'd be no social worker in the world who would refer to a child as a bad egg in front of that child. Well, there would be, but but they'd be bad social workers. Right, and they wouldn't. And uh, they probably wouldn't have a job for very long. Yeah. Um, uh, the whole way he he's treated, like, by the system is just terrible. And I, I get that the social care system is not great. And a lot of people have had very bad experiences in foster care. But it, it was definitely exaggerated. But then, like, part of that tropiness was kind of needed for this. There needed to be. Yes. That's that's what I mean. Like you've got to have. Him? I mean, it's a comedy, and 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 it has to be in relatively broad strokes. And mm. everybody in this movie is very quirky. Um, there's not mm. a single normal person to be seen in this movie. There is not a single sort of person that you would actually meet in real mm-hmm. life in this movie. Yep. And our Javert character, like she's 
she is, well, firstly, it's a woman. Secondly, she is Maori. Thirdly, she's fat. Like she's completely different from what we're used to seeing on the screen. And it's the kind of woman that like, you know, doesn't very often get to be on screen. She doesn't wear a lot of makeup. She dresses very plainly. Like it's, it's, I think that in itself is kind of pretty impressive. Well, the foster mother was the same. Um, Yes. Now I think I've seen the foster mother in this New Zealand horror comedy movie, um, which is called Housebound. I think that's the same actress. Yes. I'm fairly yes, certain it's it is. the same. It is. Yeah, okay, good. Um, yeah, she was really good in that too. Uh, very, I mean, uh, a pretty different role in some respects, but also playing a mother and, and you know, well-meaning and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And her uh, daughter in that movie was also a criminal. <laughs> mm. But, uh, yeah, it's really uh, sweet how they build the relationship between Bella and Ricky in, like, very short amount of time because mm. they've got to kill Bella off and fridge her pretty early on. Mm. Um, but yeah, they, they, they build that relationship really well. It's really sweet mm. um, and really lovely. And, and then watching all of that kind of w- that groundwork be laid down and, and everything's going well. And then she gets taken away and the, the two guys have to figure each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, works well for the movie. Yeah. Um, it, it's I like think that it's tropey as heck. Like yes. we've seen it before, but it actually works for this story. It kind of it, it's a clever movie in that every time you're about to start getting bored with the tromping through wilderness aspect of it, they'll throw um, something else at you, mm-hmm. um, like you know, throw a spanner in the works or a scary moment with the the dog getting killed by the boar or um, the three the hunters, hula- the, the three come hunters upon them in the hut, yeah. um, one of whom reminded me of Kevin Durand, mm-hmm. the whole thing, but also or, or the really funny cameo from Reese Darby in this. Mm. Um, so funny and so strange. It's great. So yeah, they, but I think towards the end, it just got too much. Um, it's very episodic. I think it's might be because it's adapted from a book. It was weird. I was not particular fan of the way they put the chapter, like it actually said chapter one, a bad egg. Like, I don't think that was necessary. No, that, that I didn't like that touch either. Actually. I think, um, it, it, it felt like a device to get from, one disconnected scene to another or do a time jump or something like they they just didn't know how to do that and so they used the chapter thing and I think that is part of being adapted from the book is that uh, there's always these struggles with when you're adapting from a book because of time and and Mm. all that sort of stuff that don't tend to be a problem when you're doing a movie script. I watched um, a movie called The Perks of Being a Wallflower last night. Oh yeah. um, Which was really good had similar problems with being adapted from a book and that mm. that time passage of time thing and these are all the major moments that happen in the book so we got to get them in the movie kind of a feel to mm. it yeah i'm not i'm not like this book isn't famous though like i'm not sure i've heard of it i it's not i'd not heard of the writer i'd not heard of the book I mean, maybe it's famous in new zealand i'm not sure i i feel like um whereas whereas uh, wolf that wallflower one perks of being a wallflower that was that's a bit like a it's not John Green, but it's that kind of – it was a hugely popular book and then they adapted it to make a, a film, whereas this is more like he's found some source material that he wanted to make it and the film I think has gotten a lot more attention, whereas I don't I don't think yeah. it had a built-in fan base like that. So I f- feel like you probably c- could have been quite expansive with your adaptation of it. But they did very much stick to that. And I, like, I don't think it would have taken anything away from it if you had, hadn't had those intertitles. Perhaps there might have been a need for a, I don't know, some kind of – six weeks later or something like that. But they sort of show the passage of time when they're um, – Sam Neill's got a broken foot for like six weeks and it shows them in camp for six weeks and you kind of see it pass and they do this thing where you, they show you one scene and then 
the actors are still on screen and you can see them in the new scene and all that kind of stuff. That yeah, I quite well. that was quite effective. But I think a lot of the time I was very confused about time passing. The best way they did it was like with all the little news inserts and things. Then mm. I got a better sense because they don't really, because they, you know, they only have the actor for so long, so they can't show him growing up and it makes mm. it really difficult to tell how long they've been out there for. Um, well, and it is months and months of well, it's, I think it's, yeah, around. roughly. I think it's roughly six because there's something on the letter about him being taken on the first of June that he will won't be any longer in in their care from the first of, in his care from the first of June, and then it's winter and we're in the southern hemisphere. And then then they worry about winter coming and we're in the southern hemisphere, but they still they seem to have he's recovered from his broken foot. So if they've they've gone into the bush at the end of May and he broke his foot. He probably hasn't recovered from his broken foot until early July. And then we have a little bit more time before the snow actually comes. So it is actually kind of confusing how mm. they do the the thing. Um, there's a bit with Christmas music so just before the end um, when they're in, at the hut with Reese Darby, the, the, the caravan. Um, there's Christmas music at that point or just before that. Anyway, there's a bit with Christmas music <laughs> and then and then it's clearly like summerish again. So it's probably not long after Christmas when they get them. But it that's just basically my guesses from watching it. Right. I mean, they're, they're in the caravan with Reese Darby. That, I didn't know how long that was for. That's where they get caught as well. Mm. And then they have their Thelma and Louise um, mm. driving away moment, and fortunately without the ending, but no, still. No, for- fortunately. Um, uh, well, and Taika Waititi he cre- clearly has some good – there's some good film grammar in there because you, they've got <laughs> wonderful references to Scarface and Thelma and Louise and Lord of the Rings and um, – Terminator. He's a Terminator. I'm the Terminator. You're Sarah Connor. <laughs> I love and that. And then I told him that I was yeah, but, the yeah, And Sarah Connor in the first movie before she's been able to do a chin-up. <laughs> yeah. That was great. There's also a suspension of disbelief for me at the end where they managed to get back together and I'm like, there's there's no way. Well, there would be restraining orders and legality issues. There's no way they would let these two people go back to the bush where they were. No, well, because I don't think they were would have been able to prove much against Sam Neill other than being on the run with a minor for a few months. Like they would never would have been able to prove any abuse. That's hard enough to pr- prove when it is true, much less when it isn't. And he's in a halfway house, so he's out of jail. So it, at this point, if he gets somewhere, and like the point of a halfway house is that when someone offers to take you in, then you can they'll take you in. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, especially as the fam- like he sort of he's. He even knew of the family. He 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 sent, um, he sent Ricky down there to. He said, "I know there's people that live down there. You know, go there, go to them, and get them to call a helicopter." Like, it's. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. He's going back to the country he's come from. People are happy to take him. He's out yes, of jail. But Ricky is also in still in a fairly unsecure position in terms of the or insecure position in terms of the uh, the social. Um, works uh, the social oh like worker child situa- like, ch- yeah child protective services and stuff right because he's only been out been with that family for a year mm. yeah true Those- I just feel like it, it's it's a I mean it's you have to have a happy ending. <laughs> Yeah. I just, it's one of those things that goes through my mind where I was like, this. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're probably, there's, I mean, foster care has so many restrictions around it. Like, probably a couple in their 50s and 60s who live out on the farm in the middle of nowhere probably wouldn't have gotten chosen to be I foster think carers. They were not chosen to be foster carers. It seems like, because she says it's taken us a long time to find you. It seems like there's a possibility that there's some sort of relation, even if they're not oh, his okay. aunt and uncle. I'm not sure. Okay. But it does seem like they then well because then that then the plot twist where they take him away because the foster mother has died makes sense because again when you get approved for foster care 
all the people in your household have to be approved, like, you know, both adults or how many adults live in your household. Like, they all have to go through foster care. So, if one of them dies, then the other one, you know, would be assumed to take over. Right. Yeah. I don't, I thought that was strange too. And I feel like if she has some kind of connection, like family connection or something to him, then that all makes a lot more sense. And age-wise as well, if he's been born to like a mother who's 15 or 16, that would put that that would not be impossible that um that that Bella's character would be his aunt like her uh, would be sorry the aunt of a a sixteen year old girl who had a baby like yeah that could work pretty well as well yeah that's what I I mean and I've... I don't know what it's like in New Zealand but in Australia um with child protection among First Nations and Aboriginal kids it's you try and put them into kinship care with people mm-hmm. in their same cultural group. So again, they might have been trying to put him with a Maori woman so that like he was with his with his culture his own cultural group. Yeah. As well. I thought the similar things. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. We've we've spent too much time in the real world, haven't we? <laughs> yes. Well that's the thing is that uh, you know it's not the real world, but it's a heightened version of it. And if you're going to call attention to all of these things in the system, then I feel like you should get it right. Um mm. But you know, but at the, at the same time, there were some other issues sort with of, the movie. But there were some other really sort of poignant bits, even down to the fact that Bella he has to be killed off. the The fact that she's a Maori woman in her fifties who's died is not unusual. The fact that he has a friend who's the same age as him who died after being in an abuse situation. That kind of those sort of poignant moments that are very much emotionally true of the system, like people dying younger than they should, or having you know a kid who's seen too much when he's only thirteen. Mm. So yeah, I thought that was quite effectively woven in. Yeah, um, I thought that was good too, and I I liked the uh the I liked that the characters stay very true to themselves. There's no kind of breaking that to wring emotions out of the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that it didn't go kind of into this uh manipulative sort of sentimental thing. Um, and break the kind of the characters that we've. Mm-hmm been growing yep. with yeah um it made the moment with sam neil's little haiku just adorable yeah um so i i think that really worked well oh, for the movie there's, so there's another mo- social problem moment where he's it, um, a man has got to that age and unable to read and write there's an that's kind of another little bit that's woven in there yeah um yeah and he so appears to be australian as well i don't isn't sam neil from- sam neil is new zealander but he's that's an australian accent he's doing in this right to uh, to my ears anyway, but I think I think maybe um, they just sort of went with Sam Neill's background, and maybe he did spend he, some time in Australia. Yeah, oh, well, he, so to me, to my mind, he'd probably been in jail in Australia and gone to New Zealand to make a fresh start or something. Okay, that would be my. St- I don't know. I don't know how the story goes. That that's what I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that guy's giving that pig a piggyback. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. And Taika Waititi gives himself a really good director cameo in this movie as well. <laughs> Um, his hair in that scene is amazing, by yeah. the way. Like he's got this big beard, but also his hair looks like majestical. <laughs> yeah, scene. and w- wild. Um, I I don't really think majestical is a word. It's a running joke in the movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, he it, it was really uh that was a really funny cameo. Mm-hmm. And there are some bits that are just like you can see the uh director's fondness for um. Ad-libbing and stuff. Yes. And, um, well, the, and absurdism. Like, that's got that yeah, Flight of the Concord sort of absurdist stuff. Yeah. Um, I thought the kid who played Ricky was really good. Yes. He did a really, really good job. Um, Julian Dennison. 
Julian Dennison. He he did a really good good job of holding that film down and like especially you can see it especially when he's put in scenes with people who aren't so good. Um the, like the the Deli- teenage girl, girl yeah. who just dreadful god the line readings from that girl. So like and 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 the the other guy who was in those scenes wasn't that great either and yeah, uh, the dad yeah. The dad. See it took me a while. I was like is he her brother? I think he's meant to be her dad, but yeah. Okay. And where's the mother? She said her mother was working at a. And we never see her. We never see I, her. That's probably just narrative economy. Yeah, um, I, I, you could see how they couldn't pay other actors to, mm-hmm. because like there's no other police officers that get lines. It's always mm. um, Andy and Paula. Mm. Um, there's no other. You can see where they're trying to economize and where they're spending their money. Yeah. Um, lots and lots of sweeping shots of the um of the outback, but also not the outback, the, the New Zealand New bush. Zealand bush. Yep. But also like um, you know, you can see when they have the helicopters and mm-hmm. and they have enough money for that one cast hunt and, yep. and, and like the army, the army yeah. come in and help out. Although but also as- money, musical rights. I think they spent yep. money on that because there's some really good musical moments. They play Cinnamon over the um the first kind of es- or one of the escapes that mm. works really well stuff like that yes no that definitely it it does i mean it, it's obviously made you know with a lot of it's, it's like a little family project which is until he's until thor like taika Waititi was making little new zealand films i mean it, it's I, um it's not little it's definitely i mean it looks terrific it's got that um the musicality and stuff to it there's wetter digital effects in this movie yes the pig, um yeah so yeah, it's not. I don't think it's a little movie. I just think it's a well, it's, like I get a family feel of it. I get a feel of like all all these people. It's, it's I mean, it's a small country. It's a small industry there that I feel like they all know each other and they're all friends working for each other. Like you see all these same surnames keep popping up through the um through the credits and stuff like that. And yes. all of the people at the end who are thanked, like the New Zealand Army, which we were talking about. The New Zealand Army also helped on the Lord of the Rings movies. Like they built Hobbiton. Like literally some people from the New Zealand Army, their assignment was going to Hobbiton and following direction from Peter Jackson about what they should build. So in New, Ze- New Zealand, like, I don't know, their defence force has some spare time on their hands and, and the government. <laughs> well, they don't like, get attacked a lot, right? There's, yeah, there's, yeah, that's right. There's clearly like government help, but also many, many different production companies and people and like everyone kind of banding together to get, get it made. Yeah, there were also a lot of people who worked on this movie who worked on Lord of the Rings. Which I noticed because I know their names in like in like the stunt doubles. She, yeah, she's the, talking about like the you know second assistant art director kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Um, well, I met a couple of them. I, I yeah, so I remember them. Con. Um, again, this was a small industry. Like they all know each other. They yeah. must do. Yeah. So the the I, I yeah I understood all that, but it's it still felt like it was a big small production <laughs> like right it, it, well, I mean, this is proper filmmaking you know uh take away td knows what he's doing and yeah this is and, not- and, and this is was a pretty big like box office wise it's done pretty well it's had a really decent um uh promotional campaign as right. well which is nice to see it's yeah, good that for a movie a, like this is doing well yeah a new zealand film starring little maori kid like you, you know that's pretty good yes um yeah and he uh he really held it down really well um, there are a couple of moments as well, like he manages to handle the comedy and the drama of it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, without being too much, like he's never, you know, kind of over the top, too annoying or too yeah, cutesy or anything. It helps, I think, to have a character like Sam Neill's in there, you know, the kind of that, that repressed macho-ness in him, like the repressed, um, masculinity of not, not being too overly expressive about your emotions, that kind of thing. Right. And and I think also um 
they, they had a good rapport and it worked well and you can see him kind of lifting his game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is it's hard to find an, a kid actor, a child actor who yeah. can do what he did in this I also, movie. You know, and I also really liked how they never went in, they didn't go in the cliched direction with him. Like whenever they st- set off down a path that you, you thought, oh, yeah, I know what this kid's like, I know where this is going to go, they subvert that expectation. But like, you know, you see how he dresses or he, he's – um, got using words that he picked up off the TV, like "oh, I got poop on my kicks," and he and you. Think, well, I don't know if that's off the TV. That's <laughs> that's with the people that he was living with yeah. and the situation the, that yeah. he was in. But I mean, I, yeah, but I like he's they never go like they don't. He's not a little typical street punk or anything. He's well read. He likes to write. He's interested in haikus. He's clearly listened to a few of the social workers who've talked to him about. Um, about dealing with his emotions, about dealing with his trauma and things like that. So I think I, I like that they don't necessarily go down cliched paths with him either. Well, I feel like they, they wrote him as an actual kid instead of what people normally think. As a foster kid. <laughs> and, no, and no, a, but not just as a, like a foster, kid, foster kid. A child is like, I mean, look yeah. at Jurassic World or something like that. Mm. You know, there are lots and lots of screenwriters who cannot write children like they absolutely do not know what they're doing when it comes to writing children. Um, it's written by someone who's actually spent time around children. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I don't feel like this children, is, yeah. I mean, to, yeah, a lot of the time I'm watching movies, I'm like, oh my God, kids are not like, this is mm. ridiculous. Um, so I feel like that was just them writing what kids are actually like. It, um, it, it, but there, I mean, felt, it felt natural though with him though. He, it felt, none of, none of it felt forced either. Like he just, it worked. Yeah. There are, and, and, you know, it, it, we don't see a lot of what Ricky's like before he makes that connection with Bella. Um, he goes around the farm and then goes straight back into the car, which is really funny. Um, but, but also we, the social worker says he's been doing, he's a delinquent. He's been doing property damage. He's been doing graffiti and he, she, and then there's the footage, there's footage shown of him doing like really minor bits of property damage and like just walking down the street and things like that. And she's like loitering. loitering. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I but mean, he also sets a mailbox on fire. Right. He's probably not very nice for the people who live in that house. Right. But it is also very minor kind of things that kids who are bored and stuck in really unpleasant living situations do. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm, yes. But I think also like you, he uh he kind of picks up his act once he gets to know her and you know it's about the um the ways that you can get through to kids and stuff like that and it's really mm-hmm. nice but yeah it doesn't work for all kids no <laughs> um but yeah it was it was really nice it was really good to see that and i like i mean the first night that he runs away you know and he, he she he wakes up with her next to him and she's like you got really far and then you see the yeah. shot of them to the house and it's like 200 meters Mm, yeah, you got about two hundred meters, and it's really funny. She's really good. Um, with I mean, it's it's a good and sort of natural feeling relationship. Like he's stuck in this new place in the middle of nowhere, and they are also they've got this kid, and they don't really know what to do with him. And well, Bella's fine. Be- it's Heck that doesn't know what to do. <laughs> well, um, even Bella struggles though. She's just like she just wants to talk to him, and she doesn't sort of know what to do other than talk to him and put a hot water bottle in his bed and make sure he's fed and all that kind of thing. And it, it's a good it, – that but also, what do you do other Exactly. Than but that's what – it felt natural. Like it felt it, it felt like that relationship was earned. Yeah. No, I agree. And also, I mean, it, it means something that we've been talking about her for a lot of this podcast when she's only in about 15 minutes of the actual movie. Yeah. Um, that I, I feel like there's just too much – 
of the um the rest of the movie. I I know that I wasn't feeling well when we saw it, and so I was trying not to do that. But I definitely got bored, especially towards the end. I feel like the first half of the movie was much better than the la- the well, second half of the movie. I was feeling relatively well, and I also got bored towards the end. Um, that it does just drag on a little too long in the bush, like a little too. The chase goes on a little bit too too far. Like we we run into those three hunter guys like three or four times yeah and we don't need that we only need to i probably need to run into them once yeah um, and probably only need one scene of um paula and officer andy chasing them in the bush and then we get to the big end bit like that's all we really need yeah i'm i mean i, I liked the build of it like you know first you've only got a couple of people after them then more people and then more people until like everybody's after mm. them and they've ticked them all off as one of my favorite things in the whole movie was at the very end of it in the chase scene when uh when Ricky keeps waving to Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, Hi Paul <laughs> every time he goes past and <laughs> just cracks me up. Yeah. But it also shows that he just doesn't take any of the stuff that was happening seriously. No. Um and there's no message about that either. There's no kind of lesson in that. He he never takes it seriously and then mm. that's it. <laughs> and well I bad stuff happens but it's not so bad that it can't be gotten out of and yeah i mean yeah he he shoots um sam neil and uh, everything's fine yeah I, I i don't know i feel like maybe if you shortened the middle part and had the end extended a little bit and had a bit more of the consequences of that and stuff it would mm. be interesting I, even more of the trial would be interesting right I thought that was to actually get to the yeah that was and well yeah to actually get well then we wouldn't have spent all that time wondering about how it came to be that they they were able to take Sam Neill back again at the end and mm. be together. Like if, if you'd actually worked through that and explained it a bit more. And it doesn't make sense because also like that you don't see Paula being involved in any of that either. So you're like, well, she's in the what? trial, but yeah. Yeah. But she's not, she's on trial. She doesn't have any say in any of the stuff that's happening. Mm. Um, and she was clearly his caseworker. So it just, it does feel like it just wraps up too easily and too quickly. Mm. Mm. Um, for a movie that's about real issues, it just doesn't want to tackle any of the real issues in its story. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're all the surrounding stuff, but within its actual narrative, it doesn't take on any of those kinds of ideas. Everything is just okay at the end. Mm. Um, and, and that was a bit frustrating to me. I mean, I'm, I really liked this movie a lot, and I'm going to give a good rating. It's just that uh, yeah. I think li- the little things like that kind of hold it back from being really great. Yeah, but it is on the other hand, a, a lot of fun. And it packed out the cinema. Like, we were in a full screening. It hasn't had that. In the small. In a the small cinema. But cinema it, and it hasn't been out very long. It hasn't. Still, yeah. It's, but it's pulling in crowds. Like, I'm hearing about it from, you know, normal people, not nerds. <laughs> it's a, well, it's I, not, I don't know I, if it's fact, a really a nerd movie apart from the fact that Taika Waititi yeah, is directing it. Right, but but what we do in The Shadows definitely was mm. more niche. And this, I'm like, yeah, I'm hearing about it from you know regular people, but also, and, and it's it's kind of I'm seeing like a build of word of mouth on it, and it's it's clearly got good word of mouth, and it clearly is amusing everybody. There was a a man in our screening with a very distinctive laugh who was clearly having a wonderful time, um, but also like it was a full cinema. Everyone seemed to be I feel enjoying like people themselves. could say that about me when they see movies with me. No, no, but- this this person had like a really distinctive laugh that was kind of. It involved lots of different musical notes and went up high and came back down again. And it I was did not notice very, this. Yeah, it was an interesting laugh. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, and, and I saw what we do in the shadows at the movies as well. Like, that wasn't mm. a, something that I hunted down on. No, no, I, it was, but it, it wasn't, I, I feel like this has got some momentum behind it. 
Yes, but I, I, yeah. what I was going to say is I think what we do in the shadows was um has like that was part of why Taika Waititi got the job for Ragnarok and mm. and um that 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 this movie has that behind it already. Like yeah. we know that he can make good movies. We've and seen we know him he's and, Thor, and he's yeah. kind of building up. And so what we do in the shadows was kind of a, a surprise hit. Mm. Um, and this is building off that as well as other things. So I think mm. um I think also Sam Neill is. Uh, one of the reasons why it might be so popular in Australia is because Sam Neill is seen as kind of Australian. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, we, I think we, we sort Australians of- and New Zealanders, New Zealanders like really hate Australians, but Australians really like it when New Zealanders do well and would cheer for them. Like, you know, the, the New Zealanders think that Australia's in, Australia and New Zealand have a rivalry, but as with all rivalries, there's a power imbalance and the bigger power doesn't really care so much about the rivalry. And for example, like, in the rugby, if Australia loses in the rugby and New Zealand is going on to the next round, Australians will actually probably go for New Zealand. New Zealanders will not do the same for Australians, right? And so, like, Australians will be excited about a New Zealand movie doing well just as a matter of, like, small country pride. Okay. And, like, uh, This is not something that I have particularly come across. I don't know. But I think Australians will pick up on, like, a little New Zealand film and take it as their own much like we do New Zealand actors who a lot of whom come to Australia to get work and so we just kind of claim them as, as our own yeah not just actors in other areas as well but yeah it's it sort of happens a lot yeah I mean you know I don't really care about rivalries in anything like country rivalries or city rivalries mm. or stuff I just yep. do not but if there is a rivalry them. like if there if you ever hear of a rivalry it's always the smaller city that cares more or the smaller city or the smaller town of course or, they have more to they, prove or, yeah they have care more about it like which is hilarious because really New Zealand is making much better movies than we are right and they have been for ages they and they they um they've got a much more mature industry like everything it's just working a lot better over there they and they've got interesting people. They're more diverse. They're telling more interesting stories. Like I mean, New Zealand's always been more progressive than Australia. Um, but well, I mean, our industry, our movie, our film industry is just in shambles. There's no the the Australian film industry is is currently rubbish. Mm. And we'll be we've talked we've, about this before. We have, but we've also never like Australia's Australia, the Australian film industry ne- never also took off to a point where it could support itself commercially, which New Zealand did eventually. It, well, it required, New Zealand was lucky. It got Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but it also re- it requires a lot of government support to, to get that in the first place. But obviously their government kind of sees it as important and keeps supporting it, whereas here um, money for things like the arts are not is not really valued. Yeah, unless that is unless a you're giving, problem here. Unless you're giving tax breaks to the Marvel to make Thor here, which is what's happening for the next Thor film. Um, did Taika Waititi, did he get? So he had only made one film when he got Thor. So that's I don't know if he yeah. only made I don't know if he only made what we do in the shadows. Actually, mm. um, I just know I have, that I've I seen it, that and that was the only other I, thing I, that I, I knew just, him from. Because we always do bring Thor. it up when we when we talk about it. But I'm I'm also kind of like excited because I think Taika Waititi is the first person of color to be the, to direct a Marvel film. If I'm I don't know if I'm correct me if I'm wrong on that. I don't actually know. That would be hard to prove. I'd have to I'd have to go back through all of them. But I think that's true. Well, let's see. We've got. Um, for the first two Iron Man movies, it was um, what's his face, you know, John Favreau. Thank you. I was like John Lithgow. No, I only thought that because that name popped up in the credits for this movie, John Favreau. And then the third one was Shane Black. We've got Thor, which was Kenneth Branagh, and then that dude who took over from from Patty Jenkins, yeah, Patty Jenkins. Um, and then for Captain America, um, Joe Johnson. 
directed the first yeah, one. Yeah, that's right. And then the Russos directed the second two. And then we've got Joss on the Avengers. So, yes, first person of colour. Yep. Yeah. So And then we've, we'll have Ryan Coogler for Black Panther. For Black Panther, yeah. So I, and, and also, just looking through um, Taika Waititi's credits, he will have directed three features before. Oh, boy, because I yeah. remember hearing about that. So he'll have directed three. And Eagle versus Shark. Yeah, okay, so four features. But he's also got a fairly long – he's got a whole – it's a whole bunch of shorts – well, he's cl- I mean, these but he's are- also got a quite a bit of TV directing under his belt, so he's actually quite. It's not. It isn't one of those. It's not a Colin Trevorrow case where he did one thing at Sundance and yeah, it got out there. So looking at it now, I can see how his movies have kind of like each one has built on the success of the last one. Mm. Like because I've I've heard of Eagle vs Shark and Boy, but I remember Boy being a big critical success. People, the mm. critics really liked Boy. And so then you've got um, What We Do in the Shadows, which was kind of culty, but a lot of people liked it. So I can see how his, like... He's his... something called Super City, which is a TV show. I, that name is familiar to me. And yeah, I... that's because that's the name of my book, Melissa. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he directed his TV... Anyway, he directed heaps of that, among <laughs> other things. And a lot of the in-betweeners and stuff. Anyway, so... Sorry, we probably should have wrapped up anyway because... You just made me laugh. ...gone off into, into other territory. But I wanted <sighs> to kind of be a bit... I, I just, I don't know. I'm trying to argument proof my argument here. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I, I wanted to be like, oh, yeah, isn't it exciting that our first person of color is finally directing a Marvel movie? But I also didn't want it to be the same situation where some young hot man does a, does his first movie and then gets tapped to direct a $100 million movie. So oh, I, wanted yeah. to, I wanted to cross check that those things were not both happening in this case and neither. And that's not true. Here. No, I, 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 yeah. I knew so that's he'd where done I was a few things. Going. Cause I didn't think he'd only done one feature either. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can see that he's he's got this kind of eye for the visuals and stuff like that, but he's also getting good performances out of actors, and they definitely needed he's to shake a, things up yeah. a little bit. So. And he's got a bit of humor about him, so he'll I think that'll fit with the house style of Marvel, with a bit of like that sort of eye for humor and a little bit of absurdism. Well, also of all of their franchises, Thor is the one that really needed shaking up because mm. the Thor movies have never been as good or as interesting as the others. They just haven't been. They're not. They haven't. And, you know, part of that is the fact that Thor is just not a very good leading man. And that's not about Chris Hemsworth. That's about, I think, Thor as a character. Yeah. Um, he's just, he hasn't got that kind of interest in, in him there. So I think with the shake up to Thor Ragnarok and the casting stuff that we've been hearing and, and, uh, that sort of thing, I think, um, that was the franchise that needed shaking up the most. And, and hopefully he can do that. Yeah. Cause no. he's pretty different to what they're, usually interested yeah. in. I, and I, I also think that Marvel going with a really big director doesn't always work. No. Well, and they launched the Russos. The Russos were TV directors who got who who moved on to a Marvel movie and made the best of the Marvel films. Yeah, but also um, uh, the movie that I've forgotten in the Marvel franchise was Ant-Man. Um, I do and not remember who took over from that. Peyton pun. Reed took over from right. Edgar Wright. But, yeah, they had, but yeah, because they had someone who was such an auteur, who had such a particular vision, it didn't actually work out for them. Right, exactly. Have someone who was a big and, name, and that's the reason also that uh, that um um that Patty Jenkins, Ava DuVernay, cited for not yep. wanting to direct one of their movies. Yeah, and, stuff. and, and so, I think she's probably right on that yeah. front. Um, yeah, and I, and anyway, and obviously we love Ryan Coogler. We've been talking about it. Um, anyway, yes, no, I'm, so I'm really looking forward to. We, I'm just looking forward to you know something other than what we're getting because. Like, the fact that I'm most excited at the moment for Thor Ragnarok probably says something. Like, there's another Marvel movie coming out this year and both of us were like, oh, yeah, Doctor Strange comes out this year. And I think there must be something early next year as well. Because or how I w- learned to stop worrying and love whitewashing. Yeah. When does – hang on. 
When does Thor come out? Next year? I, I feel like it's the end of next year, like later in the year. There's usually a Marvel There's the film. Ant-Man and Wasp movie. That's, when is that? Oh, it's later than next. It's not next year. It's like um, 2018. Oh, there's Spider-Man. Spider-Man comes out next year and then. Oh, really? Next year? I think so. Oh, they, they've got to film it quick before he becomes an adult. He's <laughs> not going to become an adult that fast. Um, um, yeah, I think it's uh, Black Panther's in 2018. I that's think. after. Um, um, I just thought that Black Panther might be sooner because of all the casting announcements. Anyway, should we rate this movie, <laughs> the one that we just reviewed? Yes, um, I will give this. I'll, do you want to give it a rating first? Yeah, hang on. I'm trying to think about what I, I I'm going to go with my instinct and give it four out of five. I liked it enough that, and I thought it was fun enough that it, that's why I'm giving it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll give it four out of five too. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find our show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find us, uh, if you want to read Katie's review of Hunt for the Wilder People or any of the other movies that she watches, they're on her blog at silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we are facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens at screen underscore queens on Twitter and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.